Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is a continuation of our summer series looking at the book of Judges. I encourage and invite you to turn to your pew Bible, uh, chapter, uh, page 233 in the Old Testament. And this reading comes from Judges chapter, 13, chapter 15, verses 9 through 21. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. The men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to thine Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam. And they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then have you done to us? He replied, as they did to him, so I have done to them. They said to him, we have come down to bind you, so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson answered them, swear to me that you yourselves will not attack me. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted over his hands. Then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached down and took it, and with it he killed a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and that place was called Amalehi. By then he was very thirsty, and he called on the Lord, saying, You have granted this great victory by the hand of your servant. Am I now to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split open the hollow place, that is at Lehi, and water came from it. When he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, it was named En-Hekor, 
which is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During these final weeks of our summer long look at the book of Judges, our focus is on Samson. For some of you, just hearing that name evokes the moment for which he is best known, that time when he is standing between two pillars in a house and pushes them apart. That particular scene will be the end to this series. And yet, as we have already discovered, there's far more to the story of Samson than just how it concludes. As thus far, we have heard of how his mother longed to have a child, prayed to God for that gift, and received a visit from an angel. And as part of that visit, she promised that her son would display especially devout faith. As an adult, Samson, we looked in last week and saw that there were some troubling traits to that young man. For at a week-long feast following his wedding, he posed a riddle to 30 young men and told them that if they could solve it in a few days' time, that he would give them valuable garments. And when they have trouble coming up with the answer, they go to his wife and they threaten harm to her and her family unless she gets the answer for them. And when she does and shares it with the men, Samson is incensed. He goes to a nearby village, kills 30 other men, and takes their garments to pay off his wager and abandons his wife, which means that now she has been given in marriage to someone else. In between that scene and the one before us today, Samson, after he's cooled off, comes back to his wife and thinks that everything will be fine. And yet his father-in-law intervenes to let him know that she is now married to someone else. And so he offers another one of his daughters to Samson as a bride. Once again, he becomes incensed. And he takes 300 foxes and ties torches to their tails and then sets them out so that they destroy the grain fields and vineyards of some of the Philistines. When those individuals learn who's behind that crime, they kill Samson's former wife and her father. And when he learns of that, he goes back and kills a number, number of Philistines in retaliation. Our passage picks up at that point in the narrative, for Samson has gone into hiding. He is in a, the cleft of a rock that is in the region where the tribe of Judah lives, some of the other people from the covenant promises God had made to Israel. When the Philistines are trying to, to find Samson, they invade one of the Judahite cities. And when the leaders of Judah go to the Philistines and say, why have you done this to us? They say, it's because of Samson. And so they go and they track down Samson. And they say to him, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why have you done this to us? That man's private war has now brought them into the mix. 
And so they say that they're going to tie him up with new ropes and hand him to the Philistines so that they may solve that problem. He makes sure they promise that once he's tied up, they will not harm him. And when they agree, the exchange takes place. Samson breaks free of those ropes and with the jawbone of a donkey, we're told, he kills a thousand Philistines. What we have then in this glimpse of Samson's story to this point is of one horrific moment after another, of a time when something goes wrong, he reacts, the other people react even more intensely, and he continues that cycle of ever escalating violence. The better way would have been for Samson to have acknowledged his part in the trouble, namely the loss of his wife and, and now how that, how that riddle had been solved, to acknowledge that he played a role in that and stopped things, but he didn't. And instead, when the people of Judah come to him, he says to them, as they have done to me, so I will do to them. Sadly, he was not the last human being react in that kind of way. When I was a first-year student at Davidson, I was still very unsure of myself around young women and was very cautious when it came to romantic gestures. So it was an unexpected surprise when in the fall of that year I got this unsigned birthday card. And I began to wonder who had sent it for me. I remember talking to some of my buddies and, and had settled on an attractive young woman who was in one of my classes. And I said, I'm sure she's the one that sent me that card. And I wonder why, why she didn't show her interest in me in a more direct way. I soon learned the answer to that question for when I asked her out, she said no. And my roommate then told me that it had been another guy on the floor that had left me that card as a joke. <laughs> I was humiliated. And I plotted my revenge. I didn't do anything, actually, for the rest of that school year. But when we were sophomores, we were in the same dorm, and we were in next-door rooms. And he had one of those white message boards outside of his room. So one day when he left for class or lab or something, I, I went and I wrote him a message in uh, handwriting completely different from my own, not only because it was legible, but because when I dotted eyes with little hearts. And I had this, this innocuous note to him, said, David, I'm sorry I missed you. And I signed it with the letter B. When he came back later that day, he asked me if I had seen anyone outside of his room. And I said, nobody out of the ordinary. But now that he had taken the bait, I decided to continue this effort. And so I knew his schedule pretty well and, and always was able to have this message when he was somehow away from the room. And it began to drive him crazy. So much so that over Christmas, I wrote some letters to him, and I gave them to different one of my classmates so they could mail them to him from their hometown just to confuse him further. 
Children, do not try this at home. <laughs> well, in January of that year, David began to date a young woman named Bev. And so I stopped writing the notes and let him think that, of course, she had been the one behind all of these messages over those months. And it wasn't until their relationship ended later that summer that I finally told him the truth. And I thought I would feel this great sense of triumph. But instead, I felt foolish over all the energy I had wasted in trying to get even. Samson certainly modeled that same kind of pattern in a much more deadly way when he could at any point along the way have stopped that cycle by refusing to respond in kind or even worse. How much different that story would have been had he chosen a different way to react. I think that's what Jesus really was talking about in those verses that we heard moments ago from his Sermon on the Mount. Just prior to our particular account, Jesus has been offering a series of points where he will take the Old Testament law, the Jewish law, and he will intensify it in terms of what he wants his followers to do. In our verses, he does just the opposite, taking that ancient standard and turning it on its ear. You've heard it said, he began, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is citing another place where God had taught the Israelites of old, and it came as far as the book of Exodus tells us on the same day that Moses gives them the Ten Commandments. As he goes ahead and offers further instruction from, from Jesus, his father, that goes as follows. If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Without a doubt, those words are harsh. And they sound very ungodlike to us. And yet what God was actually proposing was an improvement over what was happening in that culture, in that era. One scholar said that what God was doing was trying to curb the tendency toward unlimited private revenge. And in Samson's actions, all of those years later, we see how, in fact, that can happen that when one thinks they are getting even, they in fact make things worse. As they did to me, so I will do to them, he had said. Whereas Jesus was pointing toward a better way. You've heard it said, he began, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. He goes on to speak about what one should do when 
their coat is stolen or when they are taken to court or when there's some other kind of dispute with another person. And it's really complicated instruction. The one thing I would say is that would caution you against hearing Jesus's words as a literal solution for those kinds of circumstances. For in fact, his words on that day would warrant a sermon all its own. And yet at the very least, What Jesus seems to be saying is that when one has been harmed, we are not to retaliate. That even if we think we're responding only in kind, inevitably it makes things worse. And so, he was speaking of a better way. Let me give you a glimpse of what that might look like from a Little League baseball game. Some of you may have heard the news 12 days ago about a game that took place in Waco, Texas. It involved two teams, and one was named Caden Shelton, who liked to go by the name of Bubs. The other boy's name was Isaiah Jarvis, who is called by his friends Zay. Bubs was a pitcher for the Pearland, Texas team, and Zay came to bat for his team from Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were in the Southwest Regional Finals for the Little League World Series. This was August 9th, and the winner would go to Williamsport. When Zay came up to bat, his team was down by one run, and quickly, Bubs got two strikes on him. And then on the next pitch, he lost control of the ball, and it hit Zay on this flap that's on the batter's helmets, that players wear. It knocked the helmet off and knocked the boy to the ground and he was holding his head. Sadly, when that kind of thing happens in the major leagues, at the very least, there is a warning from the umpire to the pitcher, sometimes to both managers. Sometimes there's an emptying of the benches and this brawl will break out on the field and in other times yet, the pitcher for the opposing team will wait later in the game and will intentionally hit a batter of the other team as retaliation. Zay Jarvis chose a better way. A reporter named Jenny Carlson writes for The Oklahoman, tells the story in this way. Coaches and trainers rushed over him And Zay said later, I was really scared. I got really shook because I've never been hit by that speed before, especially in the head. He made his way to first base, Carlson went on, and started talking to his coach. But after a moment, Zay looked across the infield to the pitcher's mound. Bub's shoulders were slumped. His head was down, he was crying. Zay tried to get his attention, hollering his name. Bubs either didn't hear him 
or wouldn't look at him. Without thinking, Zay tossed his helmet aside and walked straight toward Bubs. Even when Zay stepped onto the mound, Bubs still didn't react. But Jay stepped in front of him, put his arms around the pitcher, and started talking to him. I'm all right, Zay told him. You're doing great. Take deep breaths. Bub said later he was having trouble breathing in that moment. And then said, just think happy thoughts. Even though his coaches ultimately decided to pull Bubs from the game, he said later that, that what Zay did meant a lot, a lot, as he said. If it was anyone else, it could have gone a whole different way. Zay told a reporter afterwards, when I saw him getting emotional, I was just trying to be like Jesus and to comfort him and to really let him know I was okay. I just wanted to make sure he was okay too. At the end of the day, Zay said, it's just a baseball game. At the end of the day, he demonstrated what God seeks from you and me as well. In those moments when we have been harmed, and it's not just in baseball, but in those other occasions along the way, when the temptation in some form is to retaliate, but instead when God calls for a different way. Even Samson, even Samson, seemed to understand that point finally. For towards the end of all that we have read to this point, he finally calls upon God. And God provides him with water. And it is then that our narrator said that when Samson drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. I'm guessing that same outcome awaits us. And when those moments when instead of seeking to settle the score, we choose to follow that better way that Jesus revealed. Let us pray. We thank you, O oh God, for the unmerited, gracious love that you extend to us. Help us in our own lives to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.